Welcome to the College Connection Podcast, a podcast presented by the College of Registered Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador. This podcast is a series of regulatory-focused information and education sessions for RNs and MPs. This is the College Connection Podcast. Thank you so much for your interest in uh, hearing from me today, as I understood it through my dialogue with uh, Peggy. Um, We're going to cover off a little bit about, well, what is a seniors advocate? What does our office do? What's my role? What are some of the things our office has been doing? And, um, And some of the areas where we're headed towards. Okay, so um, the Seniors Advocate Act is what actually establishes the role of the Seniors Advocate in Newfoundland and Labrador and um, the, uh, my office, the Seniors Advocate Office, Newfoundland and Labrador. And so the act, uh, which was uh, proclaimed in 2017, uh, really outlines three specific things that I'm responsible for. And it's very much tied to systemic advocacy. So we as an office and myself as the advocate do not have authority to do individual advocacy, but we we work on systemic issues. So things that are important to a number of seniors and, and impact a number of seniors. We can identify these issues, we can review them and analyze them. That's all part of my responsibility. In addition to that, we can work with organizations, uh, you know, community organizations, uh, professional organizations, associations, uh, government, et cetera, to really dig into well, what are these systemic issues? What's the issue here? How? What's the best resolution uh, to resolve it? And if we come to a place that, okay, we need to make recommendations to government to make significant change to resolve it, then I have the authority to make recommendations to government, to government organizations, even to community organizations. Uh, It's a fairly broad uh, responsibility. So just in terms of the powers and duties, really uh, the Act outlines very specifically in Section 16 uh, what it is that... um, that I can do. And I think we really highlighted it in the last slide. This is more in detail. And what I'll say to you about it is that um, oftentimes the, the advocate is in the position whereby we have received, my office receives upward of 80 calls a month, sometimes over 100, uh, from individual people, whether it be a senior or often it's a family member of a senior, expressing a concern about an individual matter. And what we'll do is we'll do our best to refer that person uh, to, uh, you know, a location that can help them, whether that be a community organization, uh, you know, it could be a regional health authority, you know, wherever, we'll try to hook them up with uh, those services because we can't individually advocate, nor do I have the resources to do so. We're an office of four people, uh, myself as the advocate, two advocacy consultants, and a clerical position. So we really don't have the resources here either, and I don't have the legislative authority or mandate to do individual advocacy, but we'll take those issues and we'll roll them up. And so the, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of calls over a year we get, we roll all that up and we determine, gee, you know, after six, eight, 12 months, maybe a year, we'll look at it and go, we're receiving a lot of calls or emails or letters related to this matter. And then that's whereby I can then use my powers and duties to to look at reviewing that matter, 
consulting with whomever it is that I feel is necessary. I have authority in the legislation to seek documents um, from, from uh, you know, whomever, government organizations, community agencies, et cetera, to help inform my analysis, and then again, uh, make recommendations. The other piece outside of all of that is I also have a responsibility around informing the public about uh, matters that are important to seniors, so systemic issues, uh, making the, the seniors aware of the office and what we're doing, but as well related to issues related to them. So one that we've kind of taken a bit of a, a role on most recently has been a, around uh, abuse of seniors and specifically financial abuse. So, um, one of the things that people say, well, how do you define senior? And I don't need to tell you folks how different uh, the needs of seniors are depending on their age group and, and, of course, even within the age group. The legislation defines a senior as 65 plus, um, which is a quarter of this province, and we'll get into that in a moment, or just almost a quarter of the province. Uh, but it also says we, we can work with uh, individuals and in matters related to seniors who are less than 65 if they're receiving a senior service. And senior service is defined in the regulations. It's very broad. It's a service related to housing, income, health. It's so broad that, to be honest with you, almost anyone will fit in there. So for us, we really say that our office deals with primarily uh, people 50 up, and so which is 47.1% of the province, so almost half the province uh, would qualify for intervention and involvement uh, related to our office. Um, and of course, again, it's meant to be related to systemic issues. And so uh, I'm sure many of you would know, but systemic means things that are impacting a large number of seniors. So accountability is really important to me and to our office. And so how do we ensure and how do I ensure that I'm accountable to my client, who is obviously the seniors of this province? And so I'll just give you a little bit of background. I came into this position in June of 2022. Um, prior to that, the position had been left vacant for a year. I think there was a lot of surmising around whether the position would be filled. And uh, prior to that, there was, had only been one advocate. She, uh, Dr. Suzanne Brake, had opened the office in 2017 when the legislation was proclaimed, and she stayed until she retired um, back in 2021. Uh, so again, then it was vacant for a year, and I felt it important uh, that the position um, be filled and that it uh, have a presence because in my previous role, having a responsibility around seniors and aging, it... it it is really unfortunate that often seniors feel they don't have a voice. Families are frustrated. I just really felt, uh, and, you know, if we, we will all have the privilege to grow old, uh, God willing. And so I just felt it was really important to take on this role. And so coming into this job, then I felt, okay, well, there is a, an accountability here to seniors and how are we going to make that happen? And, you know, often there's a digital divide with seniors. They're not on social media and those kind of things. So how do we make sure that we're out there, the seniors are hearing from us, that we're hearing from seniors? And so some, some of the ways around this accountability is, well, in the first instance, I'm an independent statutory office and I'm an independent statutory officer of the House of Assembly. So I don't report to government. I don't report to a minister of government. I report directly to the Speaker of the House of Assembly. And so I'm independent in that 
uh, and if uh, there's other sections in the legislation that I talked to you about that, you know, and even in what I showed you, that shows I not only have a responsibility, uh, but I'm accountable to be advocating on behalf of seniors related to systemic issues. So, you know, I, I say to seniors when I meet with them, I always say, not only is it my job, but I said, you know, I'm legislated to do this. And so, you know, it gives, it's, it's quite a privilege after 32 years of being inside of government to be in this position, to be able to speak publicly. And it, but it's also a huge responsibility that I don't take lightly. The other piece around accountability is recommendations. So the legislation enables me to make recommendations to government. And so am I making those recommendations? So back in 2019, this office re uh, did release a report uh, entitled Long May Your Big Jib Draw. And in that report, there were numerous recommendations. And um, the following year, they released a report related to um, older workers in the workforce. And so then we hit COVID and then, of course, the office was vacant for a year. So for me coming into this position, it's been really important for me to get out there and determine where is government at in terms of meeting the recommendations this office has made to date. And so back in uh, the late fall, I did release a report, which was status of the recommendations. And I've also said publicly and to the ministers involved that we'll be releasing that on an annual basis. So we will continue to release annually. Every recommendation we make, what's the status of it? Has it been implemented? And if it hasn't, it, you know, where is it? And so um, that that's an accountability piece for me in my office. Um, and of course, the reports is another piece that you know I just talked about. So putting out information so that uh, people can uh, determine is are the needs of seniors that I've recognized been met. Had they not been met? And am I doing my uh, work to ensure that they are being met? That I see that as, as a role for me. The other piece is around public engagement. So when I came into the position on June 15th, on June 16th, and this is related to the media presence as well, I, I did I called together the media to, to do a, a basically a reach out to all seniors in the province to say, I'm here, here's what I'm planning to do, and, and you're going to tell me if I'm doing what you want me to do. And so we started a public engagement process whereby we had uh, 15 uh, communities we visited, two online sessions, and an online survey. The online survey we made available through mail, or if people wanted to call the office, we'd fill it out for them. And so um, pleased to say we had almost 400 seniors come out to um, public engagement sessions and we had um, over a thousand people respond to the online survey. Unheard of, I have to tell you. The uh, you know um, the statistics people tell me that's remarkable. It's actually uh, statistically significant uh, in terms of the response and generalization to the to the uh, seniors in the province. And so a little over 900 of the almost 1300 responses were seniors themselves. Some were seniors uh, like family members or caregivers and others were service providers, but th those numbers were smaller. So these are all ways that we, we and I specifically try to be as accountable to seniors in this province as I possibly can. And of course, Patty Daly, I laugh, but Patty Daly, uh, VOCM has, has now become um, a regular for me, ensuring that because seniors listen to it, they have it on lots of times all day long. And so it's an opportunity for me to be able to let them know what I'm doing and uh, respond to their concerns. Okay, 
So a little bit about um, the demographics of the province, which many of you I'm sure will know. So right now, today, if you just focus on 65 plus age group that I said my office is, is specifically uh, responsible for representing, that's 23.6% of the province. And I don't need to tell you folks, I'm sure you all know that over the next 10 years, that number's going to 29 and then in, 20, in 10 years, and then in 20 years, it'll be 30%. Uh, much of this is tied to the fact that we have um, an aging population because we have baby boomers, you know, that large group of baby boomers who are aging through the system. And so, you know, it, it is a large number of people in the province. If you move that forward to looking at, as I said, our office often is 50 plus. Uh, so this slide shows 50 plus. 50 plus, we're at 47.1% of the province today, 49% in 10 years. And then it'll start to drop off a little bit because, of course, the baby boomers would have moved through the system, uh, you know, starting to move through. Um, this has such remarkable impact uh, in terms of when I meet with seniors, I say to them, look, you think you don't have a voice. You are the voice. And if you think about who votes in this province, I'll say to them, you are the ones who vote. So don't don't underestimate the power that you have as, an, as a group. And um, the, uh, the flip of it, though, is it means as a province, we really need we should have already, but you know we we are later in the game, I think, than than we should have been. But here we are, planning for an aging population in a big way, and so as a consequence, you know we're all now scrambling to ensure that uh, you know we start to plan for the for um, the needs of an older population. And I'm sure many of you are living that day in day out, working in the health system. Uh, for sure. So I'll tell you a little bit about our public engagement process. So as I said, we had 15 in-person sessions and two virtual online. Um, we opened it up to seniors, family members, service providers, and we visited every region of the province. Um, what I can tell you is, I believe most, I believe there was a view that seniors didn't, um, you know, they wouldn't be as engaged. They they don't maybe, you know, care that much or, you know, they're not uh, that type, you know, of group. I can absolutely tell you that myth is dispelled. They are so engaged. They are so concerned. They want a voice and, and, they, and they want someone to represent them. Um, and I think it's very much, very much tied to what we're getting back in, in, in uh, our surveys, which is they're struggling. They're struggling financially in a huge way, and they're struggling um, from a health perspective. So we'll go into that a little bit. So in the public engagement process, we focused on four key areas. Um, and that is day two in the job, what I said publicly. I'm going to focus on these four areas. And so in these sessions, we focused on four areas, as did the survey. But I always said, we'll leave time at the end if there's other things that are, are important to you. And so the four areas we focused on were healthcare, transportation, cost of living, and uh, healthcare, transportation, cost of living. Now I've lost the fourth one. We'll get into it as we move forward. So healthcare. So from a healthcare perspective, um, here's what I'll tell you. So what, what the slides you're going to look at now, or the next four slides, are, are tied to, here's what we've heard through our consultation process. 
through our survey, we are still in the analysis phase. We don't have the final report back, but, um, but we have a draft we're working through. And so we will be releasing a what we heard document um, for sure in March at the latest, by the end of March at the latest. And that document will outline specifically what we heard and whereby there was any uh, statistical significance between regions, we'll note it. And so um, what I'm giving you here is kind of um, some of what our understanding is from that survey without having the final. So it's, it's still a little bit high level. Okay, so from a healthcare perspective, um, what I can tell you is every time we went into these sessions, healthcare was all, oh, housing was the fourth area, I'm sorry. So healthcare was always the one that took the most time. And I would be an hour into it and I'd say, folks, we really got to move on because we've got three more to cover. I mean, healthcare has been so significant. I cannot tell you. I don't, I, I'm sure I don't need to. I'm sure you're living it every day, you know. What is interesting so far from a preliminary perspective in the surveys is that healthcare and cost of living are almost equally important from the people who responded. So, cause you'll have to remember that 400 came out to the survey issue, the uh, in-person. And so uh, what you're hearing here is primarily tied to healthcare being most important to those that came out to the in-person sessions. But when you got people online, they talked a lot about their financial needs. And I think that's indicative of, People are embarrassed. I mean, it's embarrassing to talk about. I've lived my whole life. I've worked. I've raised my family. I did everything right, and now I'm struggling financially. It's 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 a hard place to be, right? So I think it was easier to do that on a survey than it was to talk about it publicly. But anyway, so from a healthcare perspective, um, it was the area of most uh, and uh, need, and primarily it was about needing access to a primary health care person. And it didn't have to be a GP. It did include the GP, definitely. Um, it was when when I asked the question, okay, so you're, you're not you're not able to get access to a primary health care person, you know, for your immediate needs. Uh, is that your GP? Does it need to be your GP? And overwhelmingly it was no no I mean we would be happy if we could you know have a nurse practitioner or or a nurse, someone who, who can, you know, do that immediate need I have for today, if if they have that skill set. And so, um, and I think that's indicative of, you know, when you think about seniors, many of them grew up with the public health nurse being the primary person in their community, and they were very open to it and actually welcomed the idea. Um, the other areas, of course, were long-term care. And I mean, it was overwhelming the messages around long-term care and personal care, both of them. It was um, uh, it was horrendous. The stories were horrendous. Uh, I mean, it, it was so sad. Now, there were good stories too, don't get me wrong, there were. But overwhelmingly, it was more on the negative. And I mean, I'm sure that that's indicative often of, well, you know, it's like anything, right? People, people will come out when they have something they want to share that's, you know, that's concerning them, not always when they have something positive to share. But at the end of the day, it was so significant that back in 2019, my office had called for a review of the long-term care and personal care home systems, and the government had done nothing about that. Um, and so I re, uh, recalled for that. I Back in the fall, I went out publicly and said, I can't, I can't keep listening to the stories. You know, we don't need to get to the end of this review. We knew back in 2019 those systems needed a review, and I'm asking for it to be done immediately. And I am pleased to say that the Department of Health has made a commitment to do so, uh, both systems, which I think was important. And um, 
you know, and I, I think it's important for me to say to you folks, I had tried to be very clear that this review was not about, um, because families were very clear with me, it wasn't about the problem with the people working in the system. The problem was with the system. And they were really clear about that. It, you know, I mean, they were, there's not enough people in the system, the oversight of the system, how it's being managed and run. And we know that the acuity level for, for these facilities has continued to go up and is intended to continue to go up with the idea that more people will stay home longer. We'll see if that happens. It's only going to happen if supports are put in place. Uh, but anyway, so they they really didn't, it wasn't about, you know, individual, you know, um, the social worker or the nurse or the, it was about the system overall and, and uh, the struggle that people were facing in it. And, and there was a recognition that it wasn't just a struggle for the family. It was a struggle for the people working in there too. So I was pleased, you know, that it was balanced from that perspective. So I did call for a review. I called for a review with the idea that, and I laid out in, in the call that this really needs to be about not how we fix the current system. It's about how we design the system of tomorrow that we need, knowing where we're headed from an aging population, knowing the acuity level is going to increase to go, you know, that, that's intended, then let's build what we need and then uh, resource it as, uh, you know, plan for it. So it's not, I know it won't be a solution for today or tomorrow, but it could be a four or five year solution if we build a, a plan to work toward it. And so uh, the department has recently come out and said they have an expert panel uh, put together to begin that. And I'm very hopeful my office will be engaged in that. And I'm hopeful that uh, the end of that piece of work will be a blueprint. We'll see. Okay. So then the other pieces, uh, you know, we're doing some work with the Department of Health around uh, looking at things related to how do we meet the primary care needs of seniors? Cataracts. We know that the cataract uh, ability to do cataracts through MCP and private clinics uh, has started. We'd like to see more of that. We'd like to see maybe audiology be part of that. And my office has already called for driver's license medicals to be free for seniors. So uh, that's some of the pieces. Um, as well, um, just thinking, is there anything else there I want to highlight? Yes, we've also called for the shingles vaccine to be free. And I've recently, uh, through a submission that my office has made to the budget process, I've called for the high dose vaccine to be available free of charge to uh, people 65 and over uh, who don't have health insurance. Um, whereas right now, you know, I'm sure that it's only provided to those living in long term care. So there's some of the things that the, the office is currently doing as it relates to health care. The second area we focused on was housing. And uh, I always asked, as soon as I went into the room, I'd say, uh, you know, we, and we were talk, got to the area of housing, I'd say, okay, how many people in this room uh, want to transpire in their own homes? So and we'd have a little chuckle and at least 95% of the hands would go up, right? Everybody, pretty much, almost everyone wanted to, you know, remain in their own homes uh, and uh, certainly until, you know, until their final days. And so then we'd ask questions like, well, okay, that's, that, I'm not surprised by that response. Tell me what you would need to continue to reside in their own home. And, you know, it was really interesting. The response of seniors was such that they, it was dead air often. It was like, well, what do you mean? Like we got our house, you know, we just need to stay. And so then you'd start talking about, oh, okay, well, well, who mows your lawn and who's fixing your shingles if they, and, and then that led into, oh yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's a lot more than that, isn't it? You know, and, and it's funny, uh, when starting to look at some of the survey findings that I've got, 
the family members and the service providers very readily were able to identify all those things people would need to age at home and age in place. Uh, but even in the survey, seniors didn't necessarily identify that they what they would need. And I think it's tied to they don't want to be moved out of their homes. So leave me alone. I'm happy enough. I'm, I'm going to be just fine. But we know that's not true. Like we know that's not true. Uh, we know we have to plan toward it. And we know it, it can't be fair for seniors to ask for what they need to be able to reside at home or they're going to get unwell more quickly. So uh, some of the things we're looking at in, as it relates to this is, um, you know, we've we're, um, We've got a fair bit of collaboration going on in the community with municipalities. So every time I go out to community, I meet with municipalities and I'll say to them, uh, you know, what are you doing to support seniors in their own homes? What, what are you doing to ensure that um, they can stay home and still get out uh, to get to groceries? And so things like, well, what, what transportation do you have in your community? Are you linking into government programs to get a transportation in your community? Uh, you know, when you're spending any money here, are you thinking about making it age-friendly, whatever you're building. So if you're putting in a walking trail, don't put it in the middle of a mountain, you know, side of a side of a hill. That's not going to work for seniors. Make it flat so that it's, you know, the mom pushing the stroller, the person, you know, with a wheelchair or the senior with a cane or, you know, or just older and not able to do a slope can all get good use of this. Um, and, and I have to say, it's been really well received. And I actually had met with the Minister for Municipal uh, and Provincial Affairs many months ago, and we had a good discussion about that. And most recently, uh, they've put out uh, last week a new grant uh, for, for municipalities uh, to ex access money to make their uh, communities more age-friendly. So I was very pleased to see that. Okay. Um, third area that we focused on was related to transportation. And I have to say, outside of St. John's, transportation for seniors almost doesn't exist, uh, you know, in terms of a formal, uh, outside of family members or friends, there's very little transportation, um, is what we're being told. And, and I I, I knew that from previous <laughs> life. Um, but there is some. And so we, we have been holding up things like the... Um, uh, age-friendly community uh, in Clarenville. I mean, they've got a community bus, and I know uh, Placentia does. I know there's some communities uh, throughout the province that do, and we commend them, and they've actually uh, agreed to be a resource to other communities. So as I'm going out, I'm saying to mayors, look, talk, talk to these other communities. They've, they've done it, and they're making it work. And they got to have volunteers to run it, and, you know, there's a bit of work to it, but but there is a way to do it. And so that, that, in terms of transportation, the expense and affordability was something that we heard loud and clear. Like seniors were saying, to continue to drive a vehicle, pay my insurance and gas is really hard. And, and then they, if they, you know, whether it was their own transportation or whether they had to use family or friends, the traveling conditions uh, to get to, especially medical, um, was so you know oftentimes it's it's so far and, and costly and then you know road conditions and this province weather conditions all of that uh you know they found a, a real impediment and therefore difficult to ask others to do you know to give them a hand sometimes so you know we know the whole business of being able to resign your own home and be well is tied to being able to get out in your community, but as well to access services. And so we know that uh, transportation has to be part of the answer. And so, um, uh, as I said, we, we 
we called for, uh, sorry, we were leaning hard on the whole business of extending the age-friendly transportation program, uh, which is uh, the program that Department of Children's Senior Social Development has. It's $300,000 a year grant. It's nowhere near what it needs to be, but where we've been moving in the direction of how do you... Uh, government, if you want people to continue to reside at home, and you really need to think about how you're going to make transportation accessible in communities. Um, the other is, um, many of you would know that uh, there's a um, MTAP program, Medical Transportation Assistance Program in the province, and it is under review. Our office called for a review of that back in 2019, and, and health, Department of Health Community Services agreed to do the review. Uh, but it's not been completed. And so we are, you know, calling for that to be completed. But in our most recent submission to the budget review, we actually made specific uh, recommendations around changes to, at least in the interim of getting the review finished, uh, make it uh, such that it, uh, you know, give families some level of assistance uh, because right now it's, it's just not meeting the mark and especially for families in Labrador. Um, and as I think I said earlier, we asked for the driver's medical to uh, be free. And I understand that is under serious uh, review. Um, the other thing is that I recently met. So there are three seniors advocates in the country, only three. Um, and so we're progressive in that uh, in that regard as a province that we have one. So does New Brunswick and so does British Columbia. And we re recently met as a group in Ottawa and I met with the federal minister for seniors, uh, Minister Kara, and talked about, um, you know, it was good that there was an extension to the um, to the. Um, um, OAS um, recently, uh, 75 plus last year, uh, received a 10% increase, but hopeful to see that uh, move down to seniors 65 plus. And she, she did commit that they are looking at the GIS and, and the amount that pays. So I, you know, even that would be a benefit to seniors. That will move us, I'm looking at the time, that will move us into the cost of living, which was the uh, fourth area that we addressed when we met. And you know, I have to tell you honestly that there, there, I really do believe is a misconception that seniors in this province are doing okay financially in relation to other age groups. I'm not saying they're well off. I'm just saying that when when um, departments of government specifically tied to, for example, the um, the basic income. Um, that's being discussed, the idea of having a basic income in this province. There really was a vision that, well, seniors were doing okay because they've got the GIS, they've got the OAS, they might have CPP uh, as well. There's the senior supplement. Uh, so like they're doing okay, right? They're above the poverty line, no worries. What I can honestly tell you is they are not. They are not. The average pension, if you want to think about even seniors who actually have a, a pension, the average government pension in this province is $24,000 a year. $24,000. I'm shocked. But I think it's tied to the fact that these people retired 30 years ago when salaries were so low. And, of course, it hasn't been indexed. Then if you don't have a pension and you're only, uh, you know, um, relying on these federal, uh, you know, uh, uh, income uh, opportunities, Truthfully, the because the lack of indexing, it hasn't kept pace with inflation. And we are in a place now that financially seniors are 
just above the poverty line. So when we did a review of this uh, with the Department of Children's Senior Social, Social Development, what was determined is, um, you know, they, they kind of looked at that because we were challenging it a little bit. And what they determined was it's the seniors who are just above. They're like, they're a big group that's just, just sitting above it. And now lay on top of that, the increased cost of living that's, that we're all facing uh, today, uh, they're not making ends meet. And as I said, when, when I was really uh, surprised when I, you know, when we got the survey results to find that it's almost equal what seniors are saying in terms of the needs they have around healthcare and the needs they have around um, income and, uh, and their struggles. So as I said, to, to kind of try to start looking at some of this, we were part of um, uh, meeting with uh, the Department of Children's Senior Social Development and informing their views around a basic income approach so that seniors would be involved. We have uh, made a submission to the budget process. We've also, as I said, spoken with the federal minister. Um, and of course, we're big on collaboration with community. And, you know, I know there's others out there who are doing great work in the community. And so how we've been linking into some of those things to ensure that that senior's perspective is brought to the table. So the picture you're seeing here is uh, when I met with the, um, uh, there was a collaboration around uh, rethinking food charity. And, and of course, you know, the whole, um, uh, poverty piece around food banks, et cetera. And so, uh, yeah, so that, uh, that is a piece of work that we've been doing. So just from a next steps perspective, because, you know, I've kind of gone into depth around areas we focused and, and work we've, we've been moving forward and things we're doing, but I also want to tell you that, you know, um, we're going to be taking the analysis from the engagement process that I talked to you about. You will see what we heard document released next month. And then um, from that, we'll make recommendations to government probably in the fall, because part of the work in between releasing the what we heard and making the recommendations is really needing to dig into the data and the research and best practice and what what are potential solutions to some of these issues and, and ensuring that they're good measurable recommendations when they're made so we can measure them after the fact to see are they are they being met and ensuring that a they meet the mark for seniors and b that they can that they are achievable um, and tied to that of course will be continued public awareness around seniors issues and advocacy so other than that, what I haven't talked to you about, and I'm not going to go into detail on any of this because we don't have time, there's a whole lot of other things that this office does. So, you know, we're, we've been working hard around the health accord implementation, uh, you know, uh, to meet with the team inside of uh, government who are moving forward on those recommendations to inform our perspective around the seniors' recommendations inside of that. Uh, the age-friendly communities and business approach, pushing that as an idea in the province. And as I said, really happy that uh, that the Municipal Affairs uh, Department took it up. Addressing ageism. I'm on a national committee uh, around ageism. It's a huge issue. It's a huge issue in the health system uh, that the health court clearly talked about that we need to uh, get inside of. Aging in place, I've talked about, I won't go into. Older workers have a partnership with the Board of Trade and uh, Senior Workers NL. Uh, Older workers, the survey done by the Board of Trade, 74,000 seniors in this province would like to either be working or continue working. Now, 
Reason being they want to be challenged. Reason being financially they need the money. There's a whole lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, it's a massive workforce that, you know, that uh, is available. And I think the workforce has, the, the employers have to change in terms of accepting uh, that that group in and figure out how they meet their needs. And of course, Indigenous elders. So we've been approached by Indigenous organizations to say, really like to have our voice out there as well, separately. So that's something you'll see us do in the very near future. So we're on social media. If you if you would like to follow us, uh, we're on Facebook, Seniors NL, or sorry, Seniors Advocate NL. We're on Twitter, and we also have a newsletter. So uh, that's another piece around accountability. When I started in the job, I said, "How are we going to get things out to seniors? How are they going to know about us?" And lots of seniors are on email. So we have, uh, I think we're at. Uh, over 300 now seniors signed up to receive emails from us and we'll communicate with them around things that are happening in our office. If there's news out there in terms of programs or services we think would be useful to them, we email it out to them. I always get these lovely emails back. It's 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 so it's so lovely, uh, you know, thanking us uh, for the work. It's so nice. So uh, and this is our contact information. It seems how this will go live. Uh, I won't bother to run through it, but basically these are all the ways you can reach out to our office at any given time. This has been a presentation of the College of Registered Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador.